Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, welcome to Some Podcast episode 21. Today, talking to comedian Ron Lynch. He's done a lot of work on shows like Dr. Katz, Home Movies, Bob's Burgers, and Adventure Time. And he's been in a bunch of films and TV and commercials and just an all-around important figure in the alternative comedy scene, not just in Los Angeles today, but he spent a lot of time in San Francisco and Boston, so we talk about that. And he's done a lot of stuff with Louis C.K. over the years. And he is also a musician. I mostly have been talking to musicians on the show, but today is going to be more comedy heavy and I, I, li- I like that though I like the format of the show being really whatever I want to talk to someone about uh, I do it much the way I did the fanzine which is the origin of the name of the show and Zum was a fanzine that turned into a record label and pretty much stopped being a fanzine but now I'm back to interviewing people and they're all sorts of creative people that I want to talk to so that's what we're doing today. Before I forget, the main reason I'm posting this now is that Ron runs a show every Saturday in LA at the Steve Allen Theater called The Tomorrow Show, or Tomorrow. Uh, we get into that a little bit, but he's doing the eight-year anniversary all August. So August 3rd, 10th, and 17th, all anniversary shows, but the big one is August 17th, and he says it's going to be probably a four-hour show. It starts at midnight, so check out tomorrow at Steve Allen Theater if you're in LA. If you're not, maybe think about going down on a Saturday. It's like a real fun show. I just got to do it recently, uh, so without further ado, me talking to Ron Lynch in San Francisco. All right, here we are. Okay. And, oh yeah, that's, this is the eighth time around. we're starting over. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in, uh, this is Ron Lynch. This is George Shen. And we're in a hotel, uh, has some Thai food, and Ron is in town in San Francisco. You have been doing for a couple of years this uh, silent film festival thing, right? Right. About 15 years now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm officially known as the voice of the silent film festival, <laughs> um, which is kind of that, silly. But that's a very exclusive club. I yeah. Think. And my friend also does the sound <laughs> for the silent film festival. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fun. You know, I just announce people to turn their things off and, uh, what's going on in the bookstore and, you know, it's pretty fun. And, um, are they digging up a lot of, uh, rarely seen footage for these or is it more like, no, like, yeah, well, there's, there's films that have been around that they have, but they also, um, it's, it's always exciting when they find a film in another country that's, um, in good shape and they restore it. Um, and show it at the festival. I mean, that's the main great thing about the festival is that mm-hmm. they really find the silent films that have been lost 
Um, but they're all good. I mean, they always wind up being a, a great film. Um, and it's live music. Anyway, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll show um, some short things about a guy. You know, like, early films were very primitive. They were just um, a man sneezing or... Mm -hmm. uh, well, now I a have train to be, coming. I have at to you. be an expert. Oh, the train coming at you! Right, they're all the you know. Or an of the north and the kiss. Like yeah, um, they're all just basic things that they just were seeing if they could film something. You know. Yeah. Basically, like a home movie. Right. And some of those exist, and sadly, some films that are great don't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. They <laughs> but, just the stock just uh, disintegrates. Yeah, the nitrate just breaks down and burns up. Just, yeah. It it's completely super flammable. Do the guys that run this festival, are they kind of tied into the preservation stuff? or? Oh, yeah. Well, the festival has been going on so long that they're actually, you know, getting money and um, really good connections. It's the, the biggest silent film organization mm -hmm. in the States. Uh, and, yeah, they, they usually pair up with somebody and restore the thing. Mm -hmm. um, like East, Eastman House is a, a big restorer, UCLA Film Archive. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people doing that restorative work now. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, yeah, I've been seeing that. And the most, and I'm going to get this figure wrong, but over 85 percent of all silent films are gone because of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Academy, the Motion Picture Association, they also do. They also do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they believe it or not, UCLA does more stuff oh, really? than them. UCLA yeah, has more. UCLA. Because uh, they have a great setup down there, and they they often get the films, mm -hmm. uh, but the academy sometimes funds it. Or, and I'm lucky enough to know people that perform at the academy or are members of the academy, so I get to see a lot of that stuff, which mm -hmm. is pretty great. And the movies are, the, I think, some of them are open to the public, and they're just like five dollars. Oh, really? And it's one of the best theaters ever. It the uh, Motion Picture Academy. The Motion yeah. Picture Academy, the nice. theater there. Yeah, there's two gigantic Oscars on either side of the stage. And, and did you, so I imagine growing up, you got really into maybe like the silent comedy stuff, or is that, am I just kind of jumping? No, in? not really. I I don't think until I was out of college that I started watching like uh, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin shorts, but that's mm -hmm. all I had seen. Mm -hmm. And then one day, um, and I knew there was a silent film society here, but one day I went to the festival and totally got hooked on mm -hmm. silent films like... Uh, full-length films, you know, which people write, people that don't go, people that don't do something always have a criticism of the thing so that they don't feel, like, guilty about not going, kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. Or people in the Midwest think everybody in L.A. or San Francisco is crazy, so they, they don't have to go there, you know. And that's but, how um, I feel about Florida right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I volunteered the next year, and then I was standing around. My friend Gary was working the board and also doing these, uh, these announcements, and I just sat in and did the announcements one time and totally loved doing that. And I would rewrite the thing because the, the things they have printed up or whatever were kind of dry a little bit. And I would just rewrite and make them a little funnier. And, mm -hmm. um, and turn off your cell phones. Yeah. yeah. And after I did it the first year, they loved it. So I went for free for a while. And that was the only benefit I had. But now they, they have a room for me. You know, they, yeah. they're great. Yeah, moving up. You moved here, you said, you were here for the 89 earthquake, you said. Just before the earthquake, I yeah. moved here, yeah. so, the, like, fall of 89. Yeah. And then, when you left was, uh, 90, late 90s? Late 90s, yeah. yeah. 
And what was the San Francisco comedy scene like? Because you moved here from Boston? or moved here from Boston, okay. which was just a great... I moved here from New York, actually. I was in okay. New York for a year. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, the Boston comedy scene was just great. I mean, it was just a great time. You know, I look back on it pretty fondly. Mm-hmm. And it was such a variety of comics. And everybody was good, in my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, and you were in that documentary that... that uh, there's a Boston documentary? Yeah, I was in it more until they got more famous people to do it. This seems to be a repeating <laughs> pattern with you because yeah, you had that of... sweatshirt from five-year engagement last night and you're like, oh, I, I got cut out of this. <laughs> yeah. I was cut out of uh, six, six films at this point. Wow. What are the other ones you've been uh, cut I, out of? And I guess if I stayed in, I would have ruined the films. But um, no. <laughs> Maybe people might know your voice as much as your face as a character actor or as like a voice actor on cartoons. and Probably, things. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it amazes me that people still come up to me, and they're way too young. Mm-hmm. Cartoon was canceled probably when they were five. Right, it's home movies, and I, I forget how it has a big cult following. How DVDs, you know, and Netflix or whatever. I don't, I'm sure it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm not sure it's on Netflix. I don't know where it is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either. But I, I know, like when you did that show that we did back in the spring or winter or whatever, it yeah. was uh, there was a guy who came from like Santa Rosa. Because he was a home movies fan, and he that's was, right. And he was like yelling out your lines. Oh, that's clips. right, that guy, that guy. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely some dedicated people for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and it seems like those are the same guys that did Doctor Cats, also, right? Right. And that's so that's, that's, that's what I, how I started with that company, really. And they were like people you knew from Boston, or that you just when you were in New York, you hooked up with them, or the Doctor Cats. I actually somebody claims I wasn't living in Boston anymore when I did that, but I think I did it. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't, I had moved already, I think. Yeah, you were, I guess you were out here, so you were tr- on yeah. the road a lot when you were living here? I did the road, yeah, I was on the road a lot when I was here, and was in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I wound up looking at my calendar at the end of my year in New York, and, because uh, you're really, unless you're somebody, like, one of five people that travels around doing mm-hmm. five sets a night in New York, you don't make money. Mm-hmm. So I left exactly six months out of the year I lived in New York. And you're like, why am I paying this rent? Yeah. Pay for it, so. Yeah. Um, and then I came out to San Francisco for the, uh, I almost said evil, for the uh, San Francisco comedy competition. Uh-huh. And then you just stayed? And I just stayed, yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't stay. I moved. I decided to move. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I loved it. I just loved the comedy clubs here and the other cafe was going on. At, at around 89, 90, yeah. Yeah. And you, did you ever do, like, Alex Bennett show and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. I did that a few times. I remember that. We didn't see eye to eye, but yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, it seems like he alienated a lot of people, but yeah. he kind of did have a very big... He Yeah, range. well, he helped, he helped comedy out, you know, what can you say? I mean, he had comics on the show all the time. Yeah, like, that was back, he used to do, we were talking about clubs, because we just walked by the old improv, which is now the Biscuit and Blues, the lady didn't, the lady... <laughs> Like, old Asian lady did not acknowledge that it was ever a club. I said this used to be a comedy club. No, it wasn't. I said, well, it was before this was what it is. And she went, no, we've been here for 18 years. And I went, I know. Before (laughs) that, it was a comedy club. So, yeah, San Francisco at that time, uh, yeah, who was... There was a lot of people that would move here right around 90 or 92 or stuff like that. A lot of people I knew from... Boston had moved out here already mm-hmm. years before that. Like Fulton oh, yeah. Houndstone and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait was here. That's right, yeah. Um, who else moved here? 
Oh, and you, well, you were saying that you even went to college with a couple of people like uh, Marga Gomez and uh huh. Marga was at a Kindler. play that I wrote and yeah. uh, Kindler, Andy Kindler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that it was a very active scene, and actually there was, like, money in it at the time, too. Like, there was enough clubs, and there was enough work, like, around oh, yeah. 90. Yeah, I think so. Really sustained. Especially if you could perform at all the clubs, you know, and there wasn't any... I think there was a little bit of, you know, if you work this club, you can't work the other club, but it, right, yeah. it didn't seem that way. I think that mostly happened with Sacramento clubs, like mm. the punchline, was there a punchline in Sacramento? There is still a punchline in Sacramento. I don't know when it started. And if you worked at Laughs Unlimited in Sacramento, you couldn't work the punchline. Right. Uh, but I would just tell them that I just quit Laughs Unlimited and I won't perform there anymore. Right, and like and the only way, there wasn't internet at the time, so it's like you just have to see an ad in the paper and right. figure out whether or not you were lying right. about anything. And they would find out, they would check that out. Sometimes people care about that so much that it's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Exclusivity um, in a neighborhood, yeah. Um, especially with me, what, what difference does it make if I'm at a different club? You know, right. I mean, if it's a major headliner that's you're losing money because he's got another club, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just going further back, you were telling me how you actually were teaching stand up, but how did you first? Uh, when did you first get into doing? Stand-up? I told you that. I try to hide that fact. Um, <laughs> Should we, on the record? I taught it before I actually did it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I moved to, I mean, a guy, I, I used to, my comedy partner at the time, we did radio together in upstate New York at Binghamton on the uh, university like the college station. station? college okay. station. And we had a pretty popular show. And then it became a midnight show. And we would take, we would do some sketches. I'm trying to think of the format was we would do some sketches, play a little music, and then take phone calls. Mm. And most of the phone calls were from like night guards and uh, people staying up late in the dorms. Yeah. Um, it was pretty fun. And then he got a job in Boston. And before that, we were planning on moving to New York and trying to do stand-up there. What's his name? Is he still in the business? Bob Lamont. No. Oh. No. He's, uh, he went, we flipped the coin and he had a regular life and I didn't. Um, <laughs> you keep in touch? Oh, yeah. 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 So you're just like college buddies doing this weird radio thing. And, and what kind of music were you playing at the station? Because you're a drummer, too, you were telling me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I play drums. Uh, but there are ta- people that know their music without playing it. But anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good question. We played stuff all over the map. I mean, it was... Uh, this is like maybe 80s? I know the first Elvis Costello album. Right. had been out and I remember looking at that record going oh what a weird name putting it back in the stacks you know <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, so that was about the era of it so you actually started drums in high school or something or yeah I started playing drums in high school and mm-hmm. uh, and then I went I I tried to get into the Crane School of Music which was in Potsdam part of the Potsdam State University system it was like the number three music school mm-hmm and I went up there with a friend of mine who was a great keyboard player and auditioned for the music school, and I got in, and he didn't get in. And that could be a matter of they needed more percussionists, who knows. But mm-hmm. um, I took about a week of music classes, and I went, well, this isn't what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to play drums, you know. I didn't mm-hmm. want to learn anything about music, like, I guess. You super know? theory type just stuff. theory things, yeah. yeah. But I still took music theory. But anyway, um, that's when I started, and also... I played 
through when I moved to Boston after that. So we moved to Boston anyway. Mm-hmm. Me and the other guy moved mm-hmm. to Boston, thinking we'll stay there for a year. It was the beginning of the comedy connection in Boston. We would do comedy there for a year, then move to New York, and we wound up staying in Boston for whatever it was, eight years, eight years doing okay. stuff. Um, and then I was I was going solo for a little while, and I was trying to leave town, and something kept happening to me. I taught at Emerson for a year. That was the last thing I did. But I tried had a club for a little while, and that club you had was a club, a jam. yeah, in in okay. Boston, in, in Central Square, okay. Cambridge. What was the name of the club? It was Latinos was the restaurant, uh-huh. and then the club was upstairs, comedy clubhouse. Um, and then we moved to a, um, before that we were doing this comedy clubhouse show at like a small theater. That's when Louis like first did a set. Right, right. He um, started that. Even yeah. though he had, done, he had already done a set six months earlier, but mm-hmm. and he thought he had quit, but he didn't. Uh, but a lot of people went in and out of that show and it was a super fun show. It was at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy Liebman and Louis and David Cross and Laura Keitlinger and mm-hmm. it's a bunch of great comics just goofing around. It's pretty yeah. fun. Uh, and that, and then, so yeah. that, not that club, but when Latinos offered me a job, like running a club, and then I found that, that he was using me to sell tickets to get into the place. And then people would go upstairs and illegally drink. Like he didn't have a liquor license or something. I forgot um, what it was. And then I just found out he was a complete scam artist. He like, he, um, the restaurant owner, the restaurant owner. Yeah. yeah. He wound up getting arrested for tax evasion. Uh, which I am soon going to be arrested for. Um, the thing is, they owe me. I just said, oh. I haven't done my taxes in three years, and I don't know what happened. I have no idea how that happened. It's good that uh, this is highly listened to in the uh, federal government listens to this podcast. Yeah, try and find me. Yeah, it's true. Um, so you were teaching in Emerson, teaching theater, teaching... Teaching comedy writing. Comedy writing. Yeah. Okay. And so, when you and your partner had an act, it was like a like kind of sketch stuff, like two man, like it was two man stuff. Sketches. It was very yeah. sketchy. You know, it, it was not a lot of dialogue stuff back and forth. Somebody mm-hmm. was always playing some kind of character, usually me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, it involved me going into the audience and doing something asinine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he came out of a theater background too, because you were saying you went to school for. Did you go to school for theater and? I when geology? I first started, I have a geology degree. Mm-hmm. A bachelor's in geology, which is useless, and uh, and then I have a master's in theater, which is useless because it's not an MFA. So right. I I spent six years of my life getting something, don't really need it. Um, I understand. Well, the that. geology thing would have worked out if I wound up going forward and wanted to get a job mm-hmm. in oil or something. But mm-hmm. uh, I were your parents supportive of, of this change, or did they uh, support? Yeah, I guess so. Ambitions? I mean, I guess so. I mean, they were you know retired and. They didn't really care that much. I mean, they they were happy about it. Be a theater uh, guy or be a geology guy. I right. don't care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you had the. That's a good question. I don't think I've ever really thought about that. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I got in trouble at school a lot, like most uh, comics. That why something yeah. happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also did great in school, so I had didn't yeah. have a problem with my parents. You know, it's not that I got in trouble that much. Mm-hmm. Um. Were there things that uh, were early influences, like maybe like comedy albums or like people that you saw on TV that you like got an inkling, like I might get into this eventually? Didn't listen to comedy albums that much. Yeah. You know, I you know I talked to friends, and they all had Cosby albums and you know a whole bunch of stuff, and um, I don't really think I ever had a comedy album until wow. college. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was a Monty Python album, which I thought was great writing. And then I found that all it was was the audio from their TV show. Oh. And it was still funny. Yeah. You know, it was still ridiculously funny. Um, so Python is maybe... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... This ties into something that's been happening to me lately, but I grew up watching a lot of kids' shows in New York, you know? Mm-hmm. And those guys hosting the shows... So the local guys. Had to do... Yeah. yeah, had to do a live show every day, every day of the week. They had to come up with stuff. Yeah. And they didn't have writers. They didn't have a lot of writers. Yeah. yeah. And one of those guys uh, was Chuck McCann, who uh, I'm now friends with, which is pretty surreal to me. I know he's, the name. I he's 78. Uh-huh. Um, his claim to fame... Like he's been on the Tomorrow Show, and he comes by, and I'll, I'll introduce him. Nobody really reacts. And I said, Chuck, you've got to do a couple of the voices so people know who you are. Mm-hmm. But um, this is even before you, but he used to be this guy for Right Guard. Um, this guy used to open up his medicine cabinet, and then Chuck would open up the other side of the medicine cabinet. He lived on the other side. <laughs> and he would go, hey, guy, how you doing? <laughs> And that those commercials were as popular as the progressive commercials are now. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. So he was an influence yeah. on me more than for comedy albums, I think. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And oh. comedy movies, you know, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved movies as a kid. Um, and he, uh, he and I are actually doing sketches now, which is hilarious to me, and it's surreal because he had a lot of puppets on the show too. Uh-huh. And I was at his house recently, and I went, "Where are you?" You said you have all the puppets. Where do you keep them? And he went there right behind you. And they were like in this big black cabinet thing behind me. Um, and he said, you want to see some? And I went, of course I do. And he opens it up. He took one of the puppets out and did it right in front of my face. And it was spooky in a weird <laughs> way, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like Krusty the Clown type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And they were great puppets. It was, it was You would operate the mouth with your hand, but there'd be wires below the puppet that you operate with your other hand that would make the eyebrows go up and down or the eyes close and open. It was pretty crazy. They were were a combination of marionette and hand Mm -hmm. puppet. So he is a guy, he, did he just eventually just end up moving out to LA and trying to make it in LA or how did he end up? Yeah, he, he moved to LA to do, uh, TV and stuff. Yeah. He's all over television in Mm -hmm. the uh, seventies and early eighties. He was on, you know, Kojak and Rockford files and all those shows. He was on almost every show. Right. If you look at his IMDB, it's insane. As like a character actor. As a character actor or like the, the quirky comedy guy. And, Mm -hmm. um, on Rockford Files, you really don't know if he killed the guy or not. And he plays a comic who claims his material was stolen by a different guy. It's pretty great. That's a good idea. And then recently, I said, yeah, the Rockford Files was great. And he goes, you know what happened to me on that? And I went, what? Uh, he said, uh, they called me the day before. Because Shecky Green was supposed to be the guy. Uh-huh. Which is, that name is always hilarious to me. Shecky and um, they called me up and I had to memorize all my lines like the night before. And he went in the next day. And they said, do you have a nice suit? Because <laughs> I didn't even have a costume for him. <laughs> yeah, wardrobe, yeah. Yeah, so he went in the next day and shot the show. Yeah. And he's great on it. I saw, just saw it recently. And how did you end up befriending him in L.A.? Um, I saw him a couple of times at the front bar at the Improv, which is one reason I'm upset to getting rid of that. <laughs> but um, And I said, hi, I grew up watching you. And he goes, you know, I do voices. And I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was like a mean guy. But now that I know him, he says things meanly, like they get a reaction out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he saw me do a character thing at the Improv one night, and... 
he just called me over to his table and introduced me to his wife and uh, just started talking to him. And it was, I said, you know, I, I, I think you're great. He was super friendly. Um, and then I saw him one more time somewhere. And then one night we were doing the Tomorrow Show, which starts at midnight. Um, and the ventriloquist was on the show, who's from New York. Oh, she's going to hate me if I can't think of her name. Um, uh, anyway, she <laughs> said, you know, my friend Chuck McCann is coming uh, tonight. I wonder if you could hold the show for like 10 minutes. And I went, Chuck McCann from New York? She goes, yeah, yeah. And I went, really? And then he shows up and I went, Chuck, I never invited you because it was a midnight show. And he goes, Ron, I'm up till four. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and he is up till four. Yeah. yeah. Till four, that's good. He's up pretty late. Is he going to do... Okay, so actually that is a good segue into the, the Tomorrow Show. You said you're going to do an anniversary show that's going to be like going till 4 a.m. sometime soon. It usually does. Yeah. And it's you know, a little out of my control. But right now we might have two shows because some people can do August 10th and some people can do August 17th. So yeah. I'm not going to say, well, you can't do the show then. I'm going to have two shows, I think. Yeah. And which um, anniversary is this going to be then? It's eight years. Eight years. Okay. July 23rd is eight years. Wow. Yeah, so it's next week. Or this and week. you started the show with uh, some other people? Yeah, we started the show with uh, Craig Anton and I, and then we decided to ask Brendan Small, mm-hmm. also from Home Movies, right, to do yeah. the show. And the three of us hosted the show for a, a while. I don't even know when it happened, but like one of the anniversary show is like the fifth, I think, or the fourth. Brendan just went, all right, just so you know, this is my last one. And that, you know, and I went, what? And then how could you have a friend of yours? Why would you do that on the show? Oh, he did it at the show. He said it at the show. <laughs> wow. And then Craig, I think, stopped doing it a few months later. Um, yeah. Which is kind of good in a way. I mean, they'd still come back and do the shows and stuff. And right. I do shows with them. Uh, but this way, I, I kind of control the show. And it, it, it does well or fails because of me. But you know? you're, you're booking. Though... Yeah. It's harder, you know. Right. It's a lot to fill. Like, I did a show called The Business last night, and there's four people booking the show. Oh, yeah. There was, at one point, there were, like, five or six. I mean, they've rotated right. a lot of people out Right. Um, but I, I know how it works. I mean, the main purpose of that show is that all four of them can do a set yeah. every week, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's a great four people. They're all completely different comics, you know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, like, in L.A., it seems like everybody has a show. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's one of these things. I think what happens is, you, as a comic, you keep trying to get sets, and you finally go, "Wait a minute! I'll just do a show. I'll get a set place, and I'll mm-hmm. do a set every week." Yeah, which is smart because you then you have to build, you know, a show. Yeah, um, it's a lot of work. Though. I find like the monthly show I find to be the most work because I, I, I produce a show with like three or four other people with Jesse and. Uh, a few other people, and Anna, who you right. just met last night. Um, and we try to do that show as like a variety kind of video, a lot of video stuff, uh-huh. a lot of PowerPoint stuff, characters. Uh, we try to impose this rule of like not doing our regular stand-up sets. So you can do anything that's not your regular stand-up set. That's, that's kind great. of yeah. the rule we're trying to impose that hasn't really come through. And sometimes like I'll be a little bit lazy and I won't have anything really right. endeavorly. Here's a music video that I was in. You know, <laughs> like something like that. Uh, the yeah, stand-up show is so easy in comparison. It's just like there's tons of stand-ups that want time. There's stand-ups coming through town. Like it's not hard to fill up a Saturday night. Sure, know? sure. But it, I didn't set out with an intention of like, I'm going to start a 
night or a club. I just like doing that stuff because when I did music stuff, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just easier. I'm just kind of a control freak. It's just easier for me to actually just try and uh, be in charge of a whole thing. I just right. I, I think it's my control freak part that I uh, like, uh, let go of a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. So it was like what I was saying to you earlier about this trips I went to Portland and Olympia was kind of a similar thing. I'm like, I'm kind of booking it. I'm kind of producing it from the outside or at least figuring out the lineup. But uh, it's partly because I have trouble like just being thrown into a situation. So maybe I just need to let myself relax on that. Well, one. sure, but you, you still kind of have to do both. You got to do to both. Keep your career way. going. You got to do both. And um, I mean, it's it's either a control freak or you're making something happen. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're making it happen. That's part of it too. Well, that's the thing. If you've been doing pretty much. You even if you're out of town, you're booking a weekly show on a Saturday. Yeah, it's like I a, mean, it's rare that I don't do the show. Yeah. Um, it's not. I mean, it was. It's less rare as time has gone on because I do have other things to do sometimes. But um, <laughs> if I'm in LA, I'm usually in LA on a Saturday night at midnight. Yeah. So yeah, you're saying you got cut out of a bunch of things uh, in terms of acting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but something you, always people wanted to keep my, People don't want my career to take off. <laughs> my whole plan is to be famous when I'm seventy. So <laughs> like the um, Chuck McCann method. Yeah. Cut, yeah. Well, no, he was always well. He's known. always yeah. Um, and you know, and he wants to keep his thing going, which is great. But yeah, I uh, was cut out of um, well, Paul Thomas Anderson's always wanted to get me in a movie, and then I've been cut out of like three of his. Oh, and, really? Um, oh. I was in the Masters playing drums. Actually, he didn't. They, they didn't cast me to be in the movie. They cast me. They needed a drummer for this scene. Okay. A drummer slash actor, but I didn't do any. I didn't have any lines. Yeah. I was just in. The You're scene. on camera though, but it got cut. Yeah, I got cut. The I whole feel like scene. a lot of that movie probably got cut. I feel like he probably shot like a whole other. Like, he does shoot a lot, I think, and they cut it down. Yeah, footage. I think so. Um, I don't know whether. Well, I know Josh Faden was cut out, so whatever his scene was got cut out. Um, and then this new movie, I just found out two days ago that the scene that I was going to be in was taken out of the script. So I haven't. I didn't even get that far. Uh, wow. But that's okay. There's a reason for everything, you know. You were showing that clip of uh, you were in early Louis C.K. films, like uh, short films that he was making. Yeah, we made a few in yeah. New York for, um, well, they were made for Howie Mandel's HBO show. And then I was, um, like, produced writing a show called Shortcuts, where Louis was hosting a show with short films. And the last show, we had, I think, seven extra minutes. So I went, let's make a movie for no budget and show people how to do it. We didn't make any money doing the show. He, he may have made a little. I think I made $200 uh, writing for eight shows or some ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made a movie about a cowboy in, a, in the meat district of yeah. New York, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I recognize that in that neighborhood. Yeah, like the, the meat patching district. Yeah, I was wearing a ridiculous cowboy outfit with a big hat and chaps and uh, big boots. Someone pointed out that there's a similar joke to that that gets reused in Pootie Tang. Yeah, wow. I didn't. I don't remember it, but yeah. someone, once we showed that film when you were in Las Vegas, we like, oh, there's Yeah, we came up with a bit Pootie where Tang. we just keep stepping yeah, forward yeah. and forward until we're like face to face. And then you're passed through each other. Yeah, and it was Tommy Blanca, and we didn't know each other. I just saw him at a Conan party, and I went, that's the guy that played the villain. Yeah.
and uh, we needed to find a guy that night for the shoot the next day. <laughs> Are you the man who done me wrong? Yeah, I done you wrong. Well, I've been looking for you for a long time. Well, what do you want? I... I want... Oh, I, I have no, I, I think it will. Oh, what? Oh, I can't remember. He was writing for something, I think. Oh, yeah, and Amy Poehler's in that, too. Amy right? Poehler's in it, and, um, oh, boy, what's his name? He's on a new sitcom, too. Tall, black guy. Um, wow, what's his name? He was on Saturday Night Live for a little while. Huh. Smooth. Smooth. Oh. Yeah, Smooth? J.B. Smooth. Oh, I remember. Back a while ago was, like, comic, the goal seemed for some people to be, get some kind of sitcom based on your life or something. Yeah, you would write yeah. from your act. Well, they would never write a sitcom from my act, because I never said anything that had anything to do about my life. I right, know. it's not like personal stuff. Right, really. that's yeah. who usually got the shows when it was about your, your Everybody loves Ron! Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody doesn't know what Ron's talking about. Um, do you deliver, did you set out? I was on that? a couple of sitcoms. Yeah. I did a couple of sitcoms. I did this one called, uh, this is another uh, career thing. It was I was on Raising Dad with Bob Saget, which okay. was another single dad thing with two kids and a after, grandfather. After Full House? Yeah, right? after Full House. After right. Full House, right. And Jonathan Katz wrote it. Jonathan oh, Katz, Katz came out with the product. So he brought me in to audition and they liked me. And then um, I forgot what it's called, but I was down. it was down to two people getting a major part on the show. Uh-huh. And it was Andy Kindler and me, a <laughs> guy I was at college with. So um, Kindler went into the room at Warner Brothers, I think, or somewhere like that. Um, there's like levels to the auditioning process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we got the, just the two of us. There was a third person, I think, but we both knew that he wasn't going to get it, I think. He was like, I don't know, uh, whatever, a dark horse. Uh -huh. So, But Kindler walks into the room, and I hear people just go, yeah, Andy. And I went, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, he got the job as the math teacher on the show. Sackett's a teacher at the school. Okay, I kind of um, remember this now. And yeah. so they, th I think they threw me a bone because they let me play the uh, auto shop teacher. Um, oh. And I was in one episode. Oh, I know why. Because, yeah, this was you showed this in your reel. <laughs> yeah, it's in my reel. reel, yeah. That's right. That's why it's, uh, I'm like, what does Bob Saget... I show my reel at your show? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I had to fill time, I guess. Oh, there was that uh, other thing, which was you and Louie and another woman doing, like, a, a news show. Like, a current events yes. kind of... Yes. Wow. That was a show I really wish got picked up, because I was, like, the anchorman and... Um, yeah, you're like the main... And Louis was great on it, but yeah. he should have been like a commentary guy instead of sticking him at the desk, and I think he knew that too. Mm -hmm. um, and did you guys pitch that as together, or how did that come together? No, I actually... I went on trips with my girlfriend, and every time I would go on a trip, an opportunity happened for me in L.A. Mm -hmm. So 
which was a good thing and a bad thing. So we thought that was like part of the luck. Three times that happened. And one time we were in Italy and uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, who was the head writer on the show, called me and said, you got to come in for this. And I went, I can't. I'm in Italy. I can't do it. I can't come in. He said, we're auditioning tomorrow. I went, well, I'm screwed because I'm not going to make it. We come back three days later and I'm in town and I get another phone call saying they weren't happy with the audition. So I'm allowed, I can come back in and do it. Mm -hmm. So I got pretty excited. Uh, and it was Courtney Cox and um, <clears throat> Dave Arquette was the uh, were the producers. Okay, and what's the name of that? It was called Midnightly News. Okay, and it was supposed to go on after Mad TV, I think. On Fox, yeah. On Fox, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and it would have been good, but there were too many personality problems around the whole thing, you know, except for me. And uh, she's going to kill me, but the she married. Uh, Oh, the other Kevin woman? Nealon, the woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't think of her name. I can't. I, yeah, she I was great. And, um, but Dino was the head writer on that. Dino was the head writer. He was a Boston Dan Harmon was a writer Dan on Harmon. it. Dan Harmon, okay. Um, and Dan Harmon used to like me because I used to sell his jokes that were really absurd but really funny. Mm -hmm. um, but there were points where Courtney Cox was going, uh, we're all like going, it's, pretty, it's really funny. And she's in charge of everything. So she would just go, look, I know comedy. <laughs> and the room would just go silent. The room would just go silent. You know, Dancing with Bruce Springsteen and uh, Science, but yeah, yeah you read yeah. other people's words. Yeah, um, that is such a long story, though that whole show thing, and yeah. it was such. Uh, her and Dino didn't get along, and there was a point we were at her house, and Dino grabbed the thing, and she was. There were there were writers' meetings where Courtney Cox was actually um, pumping her breasts in front oh. of us. Because for kid, yeah. yeah. I mean, cover it up, but yeah, for the kid. Um, just no, just like there was just no like other breath. time to do it. You yeah. couldn't do it any other time. So busy, bunch, um, a bunch of male right comedy writers, right. and like it's like a girl from TV is pumping her breast. And Dina opened up her refrigerator, it's all breast, and said, um, "Wow, is this your breast milk?" And she said, "Yes." And he went, "Can I have some?" And I think to get to him, she went, "Oh yeah, sure." He took it out. <laughs> He took it out and drank <laughs> Courtney Cox's breast milk, yes. Wow. Uh, pretty crazy. Brave man. Did, uh, when Dan Harmon, uh, did he ever talk to you about doing community or anything? Because I could see you. No, I kind of bugged him about it for a little while, but I gave up. But he's yeah. back now. So, yeah. and the show is back doing well. And, um, and Dino said my name was on the bulletin board. I ran to him a couple of years. Your name is still on the bulletin board. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, can I can I come down from the bulletin board and, and use the phone to call me? Yeah, um, I would love to do that show. That show yeah, yeah, is yeah. great. I love that show. But you have like a uh, yeah, just relationships with these people that go back pretty far. Um, so. Yeah, Dan's a very interesting guy. I mean, I'd listened to a podcast of his interview, and man, it was great. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gone through a lot of stuff. The the Saget show did air, and you were on that for a it while. Did air uh -huh. and. Um, I'm glad you went back to that because that, I, besides hanging out with Chuck McCann now, the, the other Hollywood story, and, and running into people, or like co-hosting my show with like Scott Tom, Thompson from uh, Kids in the Hall. He co-hosts co tomorrow. He co-hosts with show. me, you know, just just having people co-host with me that I always loved in comedy, but they would come, I would say, we well, can't talk about anything before you co-host with me or whatever, you know, I didn't want to have any, any preconception. And Scott Thompson really wants everything set, which was kind of interesting. But after the first time he went out, he goes, I got it. Yeah. And it was pretty fun. But that was kind of surreal to me because here I am performing with a guy that I, you know, kind of grew up watching. Yeah. Or loved, loved the comedy of. Yeah. 
And uh, so I had done the show. I had I went back on the Paramount lot to audition for uh, Andy Richter's show. Uh-huh. Uh, Andy Controls the Universe? Yeah, Andy Richter Controls the Universe. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, that was the advertising company one, right? I think so. I yeah. mean, saw like the pilot. Are you? Yeah. You're. You're on. You're on. The I was pilot. on the show. Yeah. Okay. And so I auditioned for that, and um, which is another separate story. But I was on the lot, so uh, I knew they were taping a show. So I walked over, and this one security was pretty high too. <clears throat> I didn't know if I should be doing this, but I walked over to the Raising Bad set, and um, I walked in the door. And Sackett's joke with me was always "Hello, Ron." It was that I I yelled everything because mm-hmm. I would project my lines no matter how. You know, probably why I'm cut out of movies because I'm too loud. No. Um, <laughs> hey, I just put it together. Um, so I walk over to the set and Sagan goes, I want to introduce him. He introduces me to a couple of people. I walk around. This guy, Will Schreiner, who's an old time comedy, he used to host yeah, a, a show too, was directing the show. And I said, How's it going? And I'm always interested about learning about directing TV, which I think is what I really want to do too. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes, Well, we're doing this scene and then we have to, because of the child labor laws, we have to get the scene done and then we're going to go down here to the bar and he kind of freezes and he goes are you going to be around for a little while and I went yeah sure he goes sorry and then he calls me over and he goes I think we're going to have you play the bartender I went oh really okay and he approaches the producers about it and the showrunner was uh, Norman Steinberg who wrote Blazing Saddles funniest guy ever really great guy um so he comes over to him and he goes, I think we're going to have you in this scene. You want to do that? I went, yes. And he goes, but we don't have any lights for you. You're going to have to probably ad-lib the scene with Saget. And I went, sure. <laughs> and so they're moving the cameras down for that scene. And they, they show the AD, is that who will be running the thing? Mm-hmm. Who will be the timing? He said, oh, he's the end or what? And they look at me and I went, do you want to do it? I went, yeah. They grab me, throw a costume on me, throw me behind the bar, push the sad extra out from the bartender spot and um, Sackett walks forward and just yells to everybody, by the way, everybody, Ron's in this scene because he just happened to be here. <laughs> and then walks back and he leaves over and he goes, he says, you know, we're making this up. And I went, yeah. So it was pretty funny. And it was the old, it was like um, the old Jack Benny shows had a character and I I wish I knew his name, but he would always turn around and go, yes! Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, his name's going to come to me before we stop talking, but uh, Gilbert. Somebody, Gil- Gilbert. Anyway, he would turn around and go, yes! And then you could see uh, Benny's face be upset that it was that guy again. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what happens. Sagan goes to the bar and he goes, I'll take this. Uh, boy, you know, I'm, I'm on my first date tonight. But then I turn around and he goes, Mr. Lynch! Which was another ironic thing. I never asked to have my name as characters, but uh-huh. I did like four have... things which they used my name. <laughs> right, home movies, right, yeah. Yeah, I think writers just don't. Oh, it was Sarah Silverman too, right? Yeah. Oh, Sarah, Sarah Silverman, I was Dr. Lynch. Yeah, Dr. Lynch. Yeah, I was Dr. Lynch. That's um, just your deal, yeah. So wait, this is the Raising Dad show? This is, you're not the, the teacher, you're the bartender first? I got, what happened on the teacher episode that uh, I played the auto shop teacher, uh-huh. I got fired. Because I was kind of, oh, so you come back because I was okay. kind of nasty. So I come, I'm going to have a different job now. And what happened in that episode is his daughters thought he got fired, but it was oh, me. Yeah, it was, they yeah. somehow confused it. So then another episode, you're just I'm happy to be bartender. on the set, right? And happens, then they yeah. just put you. So oh, I'm playing the bartender. Keep now. the continuity going. So <laughs> this is another story of my career. Is I come off the, after the scene is over, and Norman Steinberg 
grabs me and he goes, I got a phenomenal idea. The next next season, you keep showing up. You're, you have jobs. like odd jobs. And yeah. I went, oh, well, that sounds great. If we get picked up. And you can guess what happened. No, no <laughs> the show didn't get picked People up. People did not want to see more dad sag. Oh, you know who was on that show is, is Kat Dennings. Oh, from, really? Uh, As a daughter? As the, one of the daughters, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that makes me feel all kinds of weird. Yeah, I think she was, um, she was fourteen at the time. Yeah, let's not dwell on that. Um, <laughs> and boy, do I have stories. Oh no, no, this is like that. That Saget has to kind of live with that forever of like being the dad of the Olsen twins, like, <laughs> fictionally. So you don't want to talk about teaching at all, or about the comedy teaching stuff at all, or is that something? Oh, I don't care. I can, oh, yeah. I can talk about it. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. So you were doing the. Two men act, and this is in Boston where you were doing. It's the in teaching? Boston, yeah. Out here, you said you had a couple of students out here. Like, uh, I don't know if they're embarrassed. Oh, I guess they're not. No, embarrassed Margaret about talks it. about it on stage when she co-hosts with me. Yeah, uh, she always brings it up. But I say, you know, I have to bring that up. Yeah, and she just gets a kick out of it. But yeah, Margaret showed a good class that I taught here, and Greg Barron. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a really like a workshop. You know, it was just a yeah. workshop working on material. And were there not like that 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 Judy Gold book or whatever at the time? Like there was like a, there was books. I know what you mean. Yeah, something yeah, yeah. Gold is Judy something. Judy something. Yeah, <coughs> uh, there was some books. There was and a book. Stuff. I was, they asked me to write a book when I was teaching it in Boston, um, and I just went, "How can I write a book about it? You got to be kidding me!" Well, yeah. and I actually thought that way, and I'm kind of glad I thought that way. You know, because my, want name, to be would, known now my name would be still on a book right exactly. now. Exactly. It'd be like, now that would be the thing. Yeah. Know? But um, it was just, I, I went to one free intro comedy class, uh, stand-up comedy class, and then they just like, basics of like, uh, now you want to do an A to C kind of thing, and you want to like have an element of surprise, but not have it be scary. Or disgusting, or something. Wow! Like, just like that—that's wow. what they teach at yeah. the SF Comedy College or whatever. Uh-huh. And I know a few pretty good comedians that have gone through that system, of the comedy college. But it seems like, well, even though that sounds crazy and kind of crappy, I think you get something from anything, and it went away. Yeah, you somehow draw something away from that. Um, yeah. And I had—I came out of college and then started teaching, and I had taught things in college because I was a TA, but. Um, is in your theater and uh, post your theater masters, yeah. Yeah, and when I started teaching what I thought was a stand-up comedy class, um, I was teaching too much. I was trying to teach like that, like having notes and things. And, mm-hmm. um, and then as I taught it a couple of times, I realized that teaching is really only two out of the eight classes, mm-hmm. and then the other six are workshop doing it, yeah, and finding out what people's character was or what they're trying to do with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think comedy has expanded, in terms of stand-up, has expanded much more since then, of course. Now there's a big range of things that are acceptable as comedy. And mm-hmm. Flying's weird. <laughs> <laughs> have, you been in, have you been watching television? <laughs> wow, those new shows are crazy. <laughs> I think the economy needs something. You know, I think we all need something for that matter, or someone anyway. You know, I certainly needed my mother. Especially when I come home from school. School, what a place, huh? Teachers, guidance counselors, the three R's. My stomach growls a lot. Anyone have one of these things, a stomach? Actually, I uh, just had my appendix out. It still bothers me. You know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's all over my apartment. What a mess. And uh, my girlfriend, she's a mess. Oh, boy, her clothes. 
Anybody wearing these things? Clothes, the tops and bottom, the zipper? Nobody? House lights. Used to wear hats a lot. Used to mess up my hair. Had to go to the barber like every other day, and I didn't have enough hair or time. And uh, time, wow. Anybody? Man, that magazine is still around, huh? They used to send it, get your free watch, you know, an LED watch, and uh, that's not lead, you know. <laughs> hey, that's not lead and pencils. What is that? Graphite. Very good. Where do you learn this stuff? School. What a place, huh? Teachers, guidance counselors, the three R's. R R R S S S. Why do people do this? Why do people do anything? The internet has stretched everything out to sketches. You know, more sketches. So much sketch now and video and yeah. So people. People that may have not had an output now have an output, you know, and right. can be discovered easier. I think that the, the step that's missing then is that idea of, like, a private workshop where you get to figure things out versus maybe, like, just being totally green to the whole thing and then just making a comedy video and throwing it on the Internet and that's going to kind of follow you around for a long time. Yeah, right. That's the difference, I think. Maybe. Well, it's crazy to me that I, you know, I feel like I should make things so I could put them on YouTube because when you put my name in YouTube, you get like only like eight videos, right? And one of them is a promo I'm doing for my friend's book. And one is like, you know, this other thing, and it's like, no, don't, because I met somebody and they went, oh yeah, you did the you did the thing for the book, the promo book thing, and I went, oh yeah, okay, yeah, then, that's weird. Yeah, you don't ever like film like tomorrow show, or you don't ever like. Um, we've been talking about it for uh -huh. probably a year now. But we do film the shows. There's going to be a, a, a website up. <laughs> We're going to try and get it up in the next two weeks. Like a best of kind up. of but, thing, yeah. Uh, we were going to try to, you know, do it to try to make money. Because we can make no money on that show. Right. Rarely do we make anything. Do um, you have to pay a rental? or? We have the best deal at the theater yeah, in that we split money. Yeah. Um, we have to pay the tech guy and then there's a little extra money for the staff. But... Okay. Um, that money, a lot of times, if there's a band, I give them half of that money. Mm -hmm. Because that's I, I'm in a band, so I know how crappy it is to come set stuff up and then play yeah. for 15 minutes and then have to undo it, you know. Yeah. Uh, what kind of music are you playing now, then? What's the band that you're doing? I'm in two bands now, uh -huh. mostly because I'm an idiot. Uh, one band is the Tulsa Skull Swingers, which is Greg Anton, Craig Anton, mm -hmm. um, a meet who runs the... Uh, the theater, mm -hmm. which is non-profit now. Oh, and Steve Allen is. So they're having a little bit of problems. So if anyone has any money, send it to uh, Trepany House. Trepany House is the new name. Oh, it's not Steve Allen. It is the Steve Allen Theater, but the theater organization is right. Trepany it's House. It's like the Roxy we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of deal, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, who else is in that band? Blaine Capach is in that band. Okay. Who just had a child. Okay. Um, it's a pretty fun band, and we, you know, started out as fun. And of course, as you're in a band, you get more and more serious about what you're doing. So we're going to try to record something now, and we were always asked if we have any CDs. So now we have to get something going. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> but it's really just garagey, and I have a hard time describing that band all the time. It's garagey, surfy, mm -hmm. um, cramps, oh. kind of stuff. And you're the drummer. I'm the drummer. Yeah. What's the other thing? And the other band is. Uh, Jim Earl, who used to be in the comedy team here, Lincoln Earl, 
uh, and Chris Hobbs, who used to be my roommate at the uh, the place on Geary there, 21st. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing guitar, and Charles Azell, um, who recently moved back from Nashville, but he's a great songwriter, and we do mm-hmm. his songs as well. Um, and we didn't have a bass player because the bass player left the band. Oh, I, and this is a band that was already existing, kind of, with Jim Earl and Chris. And I saw Jim at a party, and I went, you know, I'm not playing in my band right now, so let's play. Mm-hmm. And then both bands came back to life. And so I'm in both of those bands. Anyway, that band's more of a songwriter. Right. Funny country band type of stuff. You know, there's humorous songs. Um, Are you then, guys sometimes a house band at Tomorrow? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I hire us when I need a band sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> and so, yeah, it sounds like a very full schedule that you have being in two bands because I imagine there's like rehearsals and then you've got a weekly show and then in between. Are you... You're going out for auditions for things, or you yeah, just... I have um, an agent that sends mm-hmm. me out stuff. It's mostly commercials, and I get mad at her for uh, mm-hmm. not sending me out for uh, theatrical stuff, which is yeah. TV and movies and stuff. And the funny thing is, she sent me out five times, and I booked three of those. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes me upset. Uh, but now that I have a haircut, I'm going to get new headshots, and that's the only thing that she says is holding me back. Really? Like, she doesn't like the... Uh, she just the came up with head. an excuse, I think. <laughs> but I, I do hear that, like, commercials actually are a very good way to pay bills if you're down Oh, there. it's great. No, yeah, yeah it's yeah. very good money, because, you know, you do a TV show, you get paid once, and then maybe get residuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did the show Happy Endings, and I don't think I ever got a big residual check for that, because I think the show was canceled almost oh. immediately. Oh, really? My sister likes that one, yeah. yeah. I haven't really watched it. And people always ask me how to get into voiceover, but I I was lucky, you know. I was. It started with Dr. Katz, and the same producers kept using me because they liked what I did, you know. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Adventure Time is the only cartoon I do. That's a I huge don't one. even know how I got that, actually. That's a huge one. Like, I've watched probably more Adventure Time than I have Home It's a crazy cartoon. And I, I've I been on it. three episodes as Mr. Pig. Yeah. And my grandniece in yeah. Florida, um, I, like, she told her all the stuff I was doing, and I mentioned that, and she totally lit up. She's yeah. 17, I think, or 18. And, yeah. Uh, no, Adventure Time is kind of Totally like, went crazy. Yeah. And she said, who are I? I'm, I'm, I play the pig. The pig, Mr. Pig. She knew every detail. Um, so she didn't recognize you, a, a family member on the show? No, she didn't even recognize my voice. Yeah. Um, and then I went to like a recital that she was doing at Christmas, and I was hanging out with my nephew and mm-hmm. her, and there were, her friends were like 10 feet away, and they were like pointing at me. And it was <laughs> like, really? <laughs> this stu- that's. But then again, now I'm on the video game. Oh, there's a video Mr. game? Mr. Pig is going to be a video game, which oh. I'm not supposed to tell anyone. Okay, so that's... Well, no, you don't have to cut it. Yeah. You're not going to fire me. Um, <laughs> no, they would love the fact that I'm saying there's a video game, I think. Oh my god, I, I would play that game. can't tell anything about it. I would play that But game. I play the character that tells you what to do next. Oh, and that's I'm such huge. a minor character on the show. There was like a, one li- a lot of one-liners. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go over there? <laughs> but then after a while, I was doing... I started doing my own voice, and then I, the director who I'd never met before, knew the character, and he went, Ron, uh, you might want to slow your voice down a little bit. You're starting to talk normally. Because <laughs> the pig kind of talks like this. Yeah. You know. yeah. Um, that's great. I think the next step is going to be Yo Gabba Gabba. That's the other thing that people freak out. I love that thing. Yeah, that Yo thing Gabba Gabba and Adventure Time. And 
the Bob's Burgers thing. That's the whole crew. Did you? I know that uh, there is a big San Francisco connection with Bob's Burgers because of uh, Lauren Bouchard is the uh, Lauren Bouchard. Yeah, yeah, he was living here for a while, but and, he's from you know he goes back to uh, home movies. Mm-hmm. He was the producer on that, I think. Yeah, and also the guy that <coughs> I know up here who, well, he moved to L.A. since the show, but Jay Howell, who's the character designer, he did a lot of the oh, wow. original. Yeah, I don't know. Drawing. He was a yeah. Sacramento guy, and he was living in San Francisco yeah. for the last like decade or so. It's a pretty funny show. Yeah, I like the, I like the show It's a lot. getting better and better. How, you've done a few of those. You're like an inspector. I'm the assistant uh-huh. food inspector, and I thought I was going to be doing more when the show came up mm-hmm. uh, than I am doing. They tried to have me come in playing as a different job. Same character, having different jobs. Oh, that's, yeah. that's your thing. That's my no. thing, right? <laughs> and um, I was trying to um, moonlight as a, uh, a private detective type of thing. And um, <laughs> mm-hmm. the kid uses my equipment to listen to their grandparents next door or something. And it got laughs in the reading. Um, and then the next day, they moved the recording time. And I kept going, all right. And then Friday, I got an email from Lauren, and it said, Fox is confused um, that you're playing somebody else, so we can't do that. Uh, they can't so do that like whole a... line of thing was got canceled of me being trying to have other jobs and doing more shows. It can't be like a Hank Azaria kind of thing. You just come in and do different things for each other. Of course. They think one... this is the only voice I do. <laughs> but listen to this voice. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? You know, I could do. I have a whole variety yeah. of voices. <laughs> well, um... I think we're running low on time, but uh, just in terms of, since we're talking about this stuff, it's like, I think that a lot of people, we, we're all fans of yours, and, you know, what, in your mind, like, what more things do you want to do in your career? It sounds like you would like to get into directing. That's one thing you well, do. I, I do direct live shows. I, I've direct directed a lot of shows. One of them was last night, actually. No, Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, last night. Um, and when I get back, I'm directing another live show but mm-hmm. um like a theater show or what it's a theater show uh-huh. one man show uh-huh. this, this one <clears throat> uh i like to keep busy i mean that's the main mm-hmm. thing i like to keep busy i don't like sitting around um but i also like to make money and i'm not doing enough of that right now yeah so. it sounds like you'd that'd be the only reason i would go back to teaching maybe mm-hmm. um but i don't want to do that and i don't want to go on the road again when did you kind of stop doing so much road stuff Pretty much when I moved to L.A. Yeah, because that's where it's the point is just to try and break yeah, more. Yeah, pretty much when I moved stuff. to L.A., even though, you know, I've been very, very, very fortunate mm-hmm. in my career, you know, and getting a job when I'm out of money. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that, and uh, it's good to work. Yeah. The Tomorrow Show is where I would love people to come see that show, you know. Yeah. Um, People can't believe it's every week, but it's every week at midnight. You know, it's funny. I was trying to find something to stump you with, and uh, Megan, I asked Megan Keister, and she's like, just call it The Tomorrow Show. Just keep calling it The Tomorrow Show and see uh, uh, And, like, you've been saying it the whole time. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm like, I was going to try uh, and do it. Oh, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. Well, you know, in, in actual language, you know, I say, yeah, I, um, no, I've been doing Tomorrow for a long time. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Right, and, yeah. like, and I am so used to other people saying that, yeah. but... In print is when I get upset. Right. When right. they call it the Tomorrow Show with capital letters on T and S of show. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
but that's always been just a thing, and I just that's a great thing that she <laughs> told you that. Yeah. That was the only insight I had. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to doing your show. I've heard from so many people that it's like their favorite show in LA. So it's pretty fun. A lot of people said that. I just had my hair cut, and the receptionist, as I was leaving, I'm paying her, and she mm-hmm. goes, uh, "By the way, I'm a big fan." And I went, "What?" And I said, "Well, how do you know me?" And she went, um, "I used to go to the Tomorrow Show a lot. I live here now." Yeah. Which was. Nice. Great. And yesterday, some guy, he used to volunteer at Steve Allen Theater. Was oh, that's right. Vendors. He came up in the bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people, I feel like people know you. I mean, you used to live here, too, but I may imagine a lot of the people you knew here have probably moved on. or Most of them are not here anymore. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of, like, that seems to happen with San Francisco comics also. You kind of get, to, a lot of people, I think, from last night are probably going to end up moving soon, too. Right. Uh, but, yeah, right. it seems like there was, seems to be a, a cap here in terms of, you know, what you can do, and if you want to actually do, like, writing. Yeah, television, or, or, yeah. You're getting, you're still, like, have a very kind of old-school thing with the live show, I feel like, and people, like, appreciate that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, okay if I'm an idiot doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but in terms of, like, yeah, to, to make money in this business is so beyond me in general, like, how that happens, I think. Yeah. The idea of just being... Around, you're around regularly. It's like every week I know you can go to this thing and you're most of the time you're going to be there and people know that. And, and a lot of people in the comedy community love you and like look up to you. So I think that's like a another thing. I kind of compared... There was a Twitter thing going around where people comparing uh, musicians and comedians and uh, I think it was like Brock Wilbur was like throwing something out there. And I forgot who he compared you to and I was like, I'm like, I feel like Ron's more like a beef heart or something. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it's like more like, you know, like the people, huh. the, the comedians definitely, like the, the artist, artist kind of person. Huh. So I think that's like oh, that's the nice. category yeah. I would like. Uh, I remember that. And I think that's like, eventually those people will, yeah, they, they, I mean, it'll be kind of the way it's worked for you where people that you've known for, I was, briefly, I wanted to say the thing about you being on the Golden Globes with Louie, how did, was that, because <laughs> that was like a, probably the most uh, screen time you've had in a long It was pretty great. Recently. It was pretty great. And um, my phone just went crazy text-wise, and especially relatives, and I just saw you on TV. Like what no are you one, doing there? No one knew. It was <laughs> pretty fun, and it was really absurd, and Louis, you know, it was just Louie State. He knew I had a tux. Yeah, he's just like, um, you want to go and sing with me? Yeah. yeah. Cool. It was pretty great. We were late too because he didn't want to go down the carpet, but we still you could still go in the back room. But we were late. The show started at five. We were there at five oh two. Didn't get food. Oh no food. Yeah, we just oh. had a thing of Godiva chocolates in front of us and drinks yeah. and champagne. So that's all I had for yeah. like an hour and a half, two hours with champagne and chocolate. Um, but it was pretty absurd. Anyway, the whole thing was great, you know. And you guys have sort of uh, maintained a pretty close relationship over the years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's very busy now, and I don't really oh, talk yeah. to him that much anymore, but um, I always have a place to stay in New York, you know, mm-hmm. he'll always put me up, mm-hmm. he'll always answer those texts. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but and yes, that's he's, going back to being from Boston and, like, knowing each other back then. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He did yeah. his first He's paid me back yeah. in spades, though, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, I've, I've worked the road with him, and, yeah, no, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's doing so well right now, too. Yeah, he's you doing know, great. He's blown up. Uh, well, Ron, I know you have to go to a thing, but yeah, thanks so much going. for meeting with me. Sure, George, yeah. And uh, thanks uh, for doing this. And thanks to everybody out there who's listening to this. <laughs> Who does anything? And what do you want them to get come away with to check out tomorrow if they're in LA on Saturdays? Yeah, every Saturday at midnight. Yeah. It's only eight bucks and it's a great show. Uh, the Steve Allen Theater.
And cast him for any voice work you might have. Yeah, or anything. <laughs> I'm a good cook, too. Ron's ready to do anything, guys. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah. The coordinates are all set, Captain. We're finally going home. We're not going home. What? Where are we going? Captain! We're going back. But we already have the crystals. We're not going back for crystals, you idiot. We're going back for vengeance.